Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. The scripture reading today is Exodus chapter 32, verses 30 to 35. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of, the, out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with the plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tess. And welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. We are glad that you're with us. I do love uh, New Member Sunday. Um, you might not know this, but our latest survey that we did a couple of months ago that many of you filled out, we still have over 55% of our people in this church now that are still new in the past two years. And that's a great blessing. It's something to be encouraged by, but at the same time, uh, the challenge means that one out of every two people, if you look to your left or to your right, that person, there's an over 50% chance that person's new, which means we still need to keep reaching out and bringing people in and stretching ourselves and inviting people into our lives. So let's, let's keep doing that. Um, last month, there was an article in the New York Times that was titled this way, Christianity's Got a Branding Problem. And if you read that article, the essence of the article is about people leaving the church, and essentially the number one reason is hypocrisy in the church and around the church. And there's been other studies that have said the same thing, that it's hypocrisy for why people leave. And now the charge of hypocrisy is a complicated one because on the one hand, that the church has failed to live up to its standards. That when a church gets political or partisan, when it it ignores claims of abuse in the church when it doesn't care for the poor and the marginalized and the needy, then I think it is right to say, why isn't this church practicing what it preaches? Why not? At the same time, on the other hand, some hypocrisy charges, I think, fundamentally misunderstand the nature and core of Christianity. My mom likes to say, I've, I heard it from her first, that a church is is not a museum for saints. It's not supposed to be pristine artifacts and, and perfection. It's more a hospital bed for sinners. And I think what she's trying to get at there is that we misunderstand Christianity if we assume Christians are perfect moral specimens versus just the people who know that they're not, which is why they're there in the first place. And I think that's actually what's happening in our text today, that God's people are realizing that they are not perfect moral specimens. 
They are realizing that they are not. And I think that's relevant for us because we've been going through a series on the idea of freedom. That we as a culture, we love the idea of freedom, and so what we're trying to do is we're trying to compare and contrast the idea that we love with the original story of freedom that's found in the book of Exodus. And what we have to ask now, what I think is a great question to ask today, is this. What happens when we fail in our pursuit of freedom? What happens when we fail? I'll tell you what the culture says. The culture says this. If you fail at your job, you get fired. If you fail at relationships, you get dumped. But these people, what happens to them? They failed. At this point, they failed at their covenant relationship with God. And we have to ask, what happens to them? That these individuals, just a few chapters before, in chapter 19 and chapter 24, they look God in the eye and they say, what do they say? They say, we will do everything the Lord has said. They make these promises and then they fail at them. And we have to ask, what happens? And I think the text breaks down for us to reveal this answer in three ways. We're going to look at today. We're going to look at the need for renewal. We're going to look at the hope for renewal. And we're going to look at the experience of renewal. The need, the hope, and the experience of renewal. So first, the need for renewal. Moses, in the very first verse of our passage, says this. He says, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And the context is this is that these people, while Moses was up the mountain and away with God, in verse 31, the next verse says that they made gods of gold. The gold they made a golden calf just earlier in this chapter. They took their jewelry and their precious metals and they boiled them down and they made, they deified, created objects. Now some of you are like, well, so what? That's, that's like an ancient pagan practice. What does it have to do with me? And the answer is, is that we have a truncated view of sin. That word in English, when we use the word sin, we tend to think it's just bad things or negative things or breaking the rules. But the biblical concept of sin is taking anything, usually good things like gold or, or metal or, or, you know, you don't, it doesn't have to be physical. You can take good things and make them too important to you because they become more important to you than God himself. And I was trying to think this week, like, okay, how can I try to illustrate this in a new way to you? And to be slightly absurd, let's play a thought experiment. What would happen if I started valuing banana peels? What would happen if, you, if I all of a sudden said, you know what, I love slimy, dirty, brown banana peels. You know, they're so unique. They have different spots. They're, they're so special. And I frame them and I collect them. And then I love them so much, I start trying to pay my taxes with them. I exchange them. I give you gifts of banana peels and stuff like that. What would you think? Other than you're crazy, but you would probably think, most New Yorkers do this. They say, well, you know, you do you. And I, by the way, I hate that phrase because what that does, when you say you do you, you are taking away the fact that my actions actually do affect other people. They affect the, the, the people around me. They affect me. They affect the government. And so when I overvalue banana peels, it's going to hurt my family. If I really did, it's going to hurt my kids, it's going to hurt the government as they're not going to get paid in something that matters. It's going to hurt the people around me all over dumb banana peels. Now, the first command in the Ten Commandments given in Exodus 20 was you should have no other gods before me. And in Old Testament law, there are civil laws that were made specifically for ancient Israel that are no longer in effect, but they're there because in the Bible because they're helpful to understand how God thinks. 
And there are ceremonial laws that are part of the sacrificial system to show people the, the need for, uh, for blood, and, and yet that's been fulfilled in Jesus. But the moral law is still applicable today. These are not something that we can just ignore. They're not arbitrary rules. The idea that you should have no other gods before me, it's kind of asking us a question as modern New Yorkers is this, is that there's a challenge to us. Can you value anything more important than God and not lead to breakdown? And I would ask you, I would hope that you would ask yourself that question. I challenge you, find something that you could value more important than God and you prioritize that thing or that person or that idea and it not lead to breakdown. I don't think it's possible. And so the Bible says that's sin. And if that's sin, guess what? Everybody, to some degree, is sinning. And you say, well, prove that. How do you know? Well, let's go through some examples. Marriage. If you prioritize marriage, the concept of marriage, that's more important to you than God. What it happens is it leads to marriage failure and the inability to even get married. Because marriage can't handle, it was never designed to operate in your heart in a place where it functions to save you or to uh, fulfill you or give you what you think you ultimately need. It will destroy marriage if you prioritize approval. Uh, pastors tend to be people-approval people. So if, we, if you value approval where you desperately need other people's approval and you make that too important to you, more important than God himself, then what ends up happening is that's why you're so insecure. You're always wondering, are people going to like me? What about today? What about tomorrow? And that's where the anxiety and the fear and the, the nervousness comes in. What happens when you overvalue comfort? When you overvalue comfort, what you, what's happening there is you're going to say, that's more important to me than other people. And so you have relational breakdown. Some of you are, are, are more control people. You, want, you need to make sure that you can have everything organized in precisely the way that you want. But when you overvalue control, then when hardship comes, when the circumstances change, that's when we can't trust God. That's when our joy gets sapped out of us because we, we are like, how could it happen? Why is he letting this happen as, as control individuals? And so for these people in our text, I think it's, it's, it's really reductionistic to say, oh, the way God's acting to them, he's acting petty. Oh, you know, why is God being so petty about them worshiping golden calves versus him? And I think that's misunderstanding the text, that it's not about being jealous. No, this is about when you over-prioritize people, places, or things in any way, that is being called sin because, to some degree, that ends up being the single greatest freedom buster of our lives. And the reason why it's that way is because often it's operating in our hearts, in our lives, and we don't even know it. We don't see how it's enslaving us. We don't see how it's, it's binding us and shackling us, and it's in part why there's so much destruction. And so before we move on, I guess I want to keep asking ourselves, we have to do this almost every week, will we see this in our lives? Will we? I want to give you, I'm gonna, here, here, let me give you a, a, a practice that you could try. Look at your schedules and look at your bank accounts. I, I tried this for myself this week. Your schedule shows you what you prioritize with your time. And your bank accounts, your credit card statements show you what you value with your, your stuff, with your money. But what's happening with your time and your money, I, I bet you, you could find themes and you can find patterns of what is too important to you. What you're hoping will value, that you can hold on to and have and get for yourself. And will we see 
that it's not going to work. I think there's a deep power struggle happening in all of our lives that it's almost like a silent war we can't see. And the question is, is who's going to reign in our hearts? And it was happening in these people, and it's happening in our own lives, and I think it's the reason why there is a need for renewal. I don't know if you're a Christian here today. If you're not a Christian, I would just humbly ask you, think, is it possible that there is a design to who you are that will lead to flourishing and freedom. Most people that I know that, that, that aren't Christians, at some level they feel like, I don't like the idea that God can speak into my life in this area, but that's making an assumption that what he's saying isn't going to actually lead to more freedom and more flourishing. Maybe you are a Christian today, but you're free in principle, but you're not in practice. You, you understand the concept, but you're actually not living it out. That in some ways, we're still living as, with individuals as golden calves because we come to church or we pray or we do all the kind of actions that we know are right and good, but we're doing them in golden calf ways where it's on our terms. It's on what suits us in our time. And therefore, we're still prioritizing things the way we want, and it's leading to destruction. And I would argue that's a fake God is not a true God, and that is the reason why there's a need for renewal in our lives. Will we understand that? Will we put ourselves under that? Will we realize that? Because if you do, see, whatever else I say won't really matter unless you are willing to put yourself in a need for renewal, number one. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. All right, number two, the hope for renewal. The hope for renewal is in the one who intercedes. Go back to our text. Moses knows that these people can't get renewal on their own. And so he says, I will go up in verse 30. I will intercede. Now that word intercession, again, I was thinking about this week, that we don't use that a lot in English. But I actually think we, we do it all the time. Take social media, all the platforms that we operate on, uh, from, from Tinder to, to Twitter, What's happening there is these social media platforms are putting us in connection with each other based on algorithms that show us what we might want, what we might want to view, who we want to be connected to. In other words, it's bringing us and connecting us and pairing us and mediating. It's interceding for us. Or I'll give you another example. Maybe you're in the movie industry or the music industry and you have a, a script or a song, and you're trying to get some producer or some director to see your piece, but you don't have that relationship. So you know what you do? You find somebody who does, and you go to that individual and you say, please, will you please go and stump for me and vouch for me and put this in front of the one who I don't have a relationship with? What is that? That's intercession. It's in finance too, right? You want to seal the deal. You want to be able to Make that pitch, but you don't know the person. You don't, you don't have the access. And so you say, can you introduce me? Can you, can you help me? What we call networking today, I actually would argue, is a type of intercession. We're coming up with relationships. And 
That's what Moses is doing. He's interceding between the people and God. And he knows that they need the reality of God in their life. He knows that we need the reality of God in our life, but we can't do it unless someone intercedes on behalf of us. And so he pleads and he says, Lord, please don't kick them out. Please don't. Yes, they ended the relationship on their end, but you don't end the relationship on your end. Yeah, I know they're not following you or, or wanting to. They're not staying in connection with you, but please. And I think in one of the more beautiful, tender moments in the entire Bible, there's this great phrase. In verse 32, Moses says, please, but if not, blot me out. I, lo- I mean, you could meditate on that for, for hours. That, you, that there's somebody who's saying, but if not. Moses is with real bravery and real care and real tenderness saying, you know what? I know that they forfeited their lives, but you know what? I'm forfeiting my life for them. Take me instead. Blot me out. I'll take the penalty. They deserve it, but give it to me instead. And I think it's important for the narrative, what does God do? Look at the next verse. Does God say, all right, and happy ending, and kumbaya, and everybody hugs, and there's a you know, sunset, and a, you know, the end shows up on the screen. Is that what happens? No. That's actually not what happens. In fact... What actually happens is, as God says in verse 33, actually, whoever sinned against me, I will blot them out. But then look at the next verse. The next verse says, now go lead your people to the place that we spoke of, the promised land. And then the last verse, he sends a plague. Those three verses do not actually follow logical order. They don't actually make sense if you think about it. That if you're supposed to be blotted out, then it's supposed to happen. Not, oh, by the way, keep leading Let the angel keep going. Go to the promised land where I told you. And so you're supposed to ask, wait a second. What is happening here? This doesn't actually add up. A couple years ago, I used an example about a a man who, I think it was 2019, uh, his name was, he was a billionaire named Robert F. Smith who would go and make a promise, a pledge to pay off the debt of everybody graduating from Morehouse College in 2019. I looked it up this week. It turned out, everybody thought at the time it was going to be about $40 million. It turned out to be about $34 million. And he followed through on, on, on his pledge. And what's amazing is that he didn't care about how he got the debt. He didn't assess that. He didn't, he didn't kind of interview the individuals. He didn't care how worthy you were of the payment. He said, I'm going to bear it. I'm going to take it. And that's exactly what Moses is trying to do here. He's saying, I'll bear the debt. I'll pay it all. And what does God do? He says, you can't. Why? Why can't Moses pay the debt? Number one, because Moses had his own debts. We studied this in the first couple sermons in our series, that Moses was constantly equivocating, turning the other way, running away, pick somebody else. They're not going to listen to me. He had his own debts. And secondly, he was just one man. He couldn't pay off the damage of the debt. There was no way for him, for his one life to atone for and qualify for the cost. And so really, the way to read this passage is you need to see this is a cliffhanger. That there's an order of what's happening here that people are going to keep going on and you should be asking, wait a second, then who's going to pay? How is it possible that these people still get to go to the promised land but it says that there's some sort of punishment that's supposed to come? And you say, oh, well, that's in verse 35. Well, no, it's not, because the plague here, we're not even told if anybody dies. This can't be what he means by that. And so we're being asked, what will happen? The word atonement in Hebrew 
just is the literal phrase to mean that your sins are covered. It is a payment term. So who's going to pay? Scholar Phil Riken once said that um, films that we make in this country, some of the big ones, for the main actors, they get stand-ins. So when a scene is about to be filmed, they have to set up the shot and the camera, and so they find somebody who looks like the actor and acts like the actor to stand in for the main character. And Phil Riken says, actually, Moses is that person. Moses is a stand-in. He's great. He's, so, he's great. He's there. But this text is saying, we need a better Moses. He's a placeholder. He's a placeholder. The hope is for an interceder. But Moses is a placeholder pointing us that we need a better one to actually pay the debt. And so last point, the experience of renewal. Really what's amazing about this text This passage, from this passage on, the entire biblical narrative is racing forward, trying to find who's going to be the one that actually pays the debt. It's the driving force of the rest of the Bible. And friends, this is where I want us to look at ourselves. I want you to be free. You want to be free, but you got to have to ask yourself, will you really be more free with a larger bank account? Will you really be more free with more friends or that special someone Go talk to people who have those things, and they will tell you they do not, it does not bring the freedom, the ultimate freedom that you're really searching for. What will really bring that? And what the Bible is humbly submitting before us is that there was a person on a cross centuries later. And by the way, there's a lot of Romans crucified a lot of different people, but this particular person was able to bear the sins of the world. This person, through his life and death, bore the penalty. Jesus Christ bore the sins, and because unlike Moses, he actually could. Moses, the, what he offered is that he offered to die for his people. Jesus actually did. And yet, if you just look at the text itself, this, this is a great story. It's a tearjerker story. Why? Because we love stories like this. We love it when Frodo Baggins says, I'm going to go and pay for and live a life, and I'm going to sacrifice myself to die for the world. We love it when Harry Potter's mother says, I'm going to die for my son and substitute my life for his. We love it when Aslan goes to the stone table and dies for Edmund. Because our stories, all our movies, point to and show that we love the idea of somebody giving themselves up for someone else. And I think the reason why is because all those other stories are pointing to the true story of what Christianity is really saying which is Jesus Christ living and dying for you, substituting for you. And yet, this week as I was thinking about this, I wanted to go a little deeper. I wanted to ask myself, but wait, wait, why, why, am I, why are you looking for Prince Charming in the first place? Why, why, why do I love, I love Peter Pan? Why do I love Peter Pan? Because I want to fly away. Why are we even looking to fly away from our problems and issues? Why is it that we, uh, you know, like Rocky, what we, we go to Adrian and, and what do we say? I looked this up. That He said, the reason I go the distance is to know that I'm not a bum. And there's something deep in our hearts where we feel the same way. There's this sort of imposter syndrome. We want to, to show the world this deep need to prove oneself, either an achievement or a love relationship, or uh, some of us try to escape reality with, with drugs or, or, you know, sense experiences, travel. And I can stand up here all day until I'm blue in the face and tell you that Jesus needs to be the lover of your life, but it won't matter if something else already is. 
It won't matter. The realness of what Jesus has done won't actually impact you until you realize there actually is a handsome prince out there for you. Until you realize, realize there is somebody in that ring fighting the fight for you. Until you realize that there is actually a happy ending that's possible. That's pointing to the true story. And when I get sad and when I get anxious and when I get fearful and when I get into these spaces, it's because at some level beneath all those feelings are gods of gold that I thought would have worked and they're not. This past week, I tried to uh, watch some movies, tried to turn my brain off uh, from missing my dad. It's been about a month since my dad died. And so um, I know that Indiana Jones is coming out with a new movie, so I, I put on Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. And you get to the last scene, and there's Indy about to fall into the pit. He's reaching for the Holy Grail. His dad's holding on to him, and his dad says, Indy, let it go. His dad says, don't pursue things that won't work. Because why? He needed a dad in his life to tell him the difference between right and wrong. And so then I start crying. I'm like, Ooh, okay, change, change the channel or whatever. Turn off Netflix. So I switched to Billy Elliot. I did. I, I literally did this. I went to Billy Elliot. And at the end of Billy Elliot, the father who'd been distant from the son starts running through the streets, praising the fact that his son gets into the dance academy. And so I start crying again. I'm like, is this my life now? Am I just going to be crying at all the movies I get now? And I realized, well, why are these things tearjerkers? Because they're connecting to a need and a hope that we all have. It touches on the cord. Because there's so much of us that... Why do we want that hero who dies for the person who they value and think is worth it? Because at the core of our nature is the God of the universe who looks at you specifically and says, you're worth dying for today. That we have a true father who died for sons and daughters when he was nailed to that cross. See, I, we live in a world that says this. The world says, my life for me. Right? Me-centeredness. And Jesus Christ, the core of his nature was my life for thee. And when you realize that he died for you, when that penetrates the bowels of our hearts, and we realize that Jesus looks at us specifically and says that, that's when you can have transformation. Because here's what you can do. If the core of Christianity is this, the core of Christianity is a man who dies for people who don't love him, who don't care for him, or his, his enemies... And if you make that the core of who you are, you know what you're going to do? You're going to die for people who are your enemies, who don't love you, who don't care for you. It has to be. And if you did that, you know what you're going to do? You're, that when that unconditional sin sinks in, you're going to, when that roommate hurts your feelings, you're not going to turn away. When that friend who's really awkward and you're, you, know, you really don't want to pour into them, you're going to have that extra ability and resource to care for them. It would change us into people who are more humble and more patient and more long-suffering. Are we going to be perfect specimens of perfection? No. But we'll be able to persevere and move in those spaces. You know what happened? I bet you we, we wouldn't have the same reputation of hypocrisy. Not if we actually had this in our lives. To the degree that we get the gospel in our lives, to that degree, will you be able to stay in that community group? Will you be able to commit to that friend? Would you stay in, in hard situations and not opt out? And when we realize that we were the problem, that God forgave us, and living every day in that space, there's, there's fuel and power that nobody else has, that we can rest in that. 
And so that's the question I want to ask before we end is this. Will we? Will we do that? What did Jesus say on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them. Why? For they know not what they do. If you place him at the core of your life, are you every day able to say that same phrase to other people? Forgive them for they know not what they do. We have that ability. The world, because the world does not do this. The world is fracturing and dividing further out because it doesn't live out forgiveness that's been granted to us first so then we can grant it to other people. Um, I, just real quick about my own personal story. This whole, week, this, whole, this whole month, people have been reaching out and said, hey, you've had a great father. He was my spiritual father too. A lot of people said, you know what? I wish that my son or my daughter had your dad because you know, he could explain the gospel in so many good ways. I need to be honest with you. I didn't become a Christian until later in life. I probably had one of the better uh, gospel presentations growing up. You know what? It didn't do it. Because it's not just about a perfect rendition and articulation. There has to be something else going on. It was until college, and it was because, in in part, because I looked at my family and my parents and my church, and I saw people forgiving and repenting. And I think there's no, the world doesn't do that, and so there's something supernatural and powerful. And the only way you can get that is because you feel forgiven. When we fail, that's what we see and what we get, and it's a life-changing experience. And so I'd like you to ask you, do you have this? And if you don't, if you don't feel free, you know why? Because you're not. You're still in Egypt. You're still trying. And I'm convinced that we're going to keep going back to these golden calves until we see Jesus sacrificing himself for you, even when, dot, 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 even when you're not doing what's right. See, he went through death for you. Do you think really your non-acknowledgement of him this past week is going to stop him from loving you? If he was willing to say, I'm going to give it all for him and for her, do you think when we regularly worry and we doubt and we wonder, I don't know if I can believe this, do you think that's going to stop his love for you? No. If that didn't stop then, it's not going to stop him now. Don't you think Jesus, the way that you want to see him, isn't always the best way. You should want to see him the way that he really is. And that's predominantly him giving himself up for you. And if he didn't give up on you, don't give up on him. If you're feeling anxious today, if you feel like you've overworked today or this past week, if you feel like you failed in these different ways, if you can at least get the conception of it, all you have to do is admit, confess to each other and to God himself, and what you will find is Jesus already knew about it before, and he already said, yeah, I paid for that. I atoned for that. I loved you despite that. And it, it will change your life. I want us, I would love to, what I want to dream about is this church being able to do that. I think that's where the power is going to be. I think that's where we're, the, the supernatural ability will be. And I think it'll change where we live as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we will sit in this space, that we will see all the stories that we like point to the true and real story, Father, of sacrifice. Sometimes we get tired because we've seen it before, but we see it because we map it out in our art, in our experiences, because it is, it is a need that nothing else can satisfy. Father, for those who are in this room who aren't sure what they believe, I pray that they keep asking questions. That's the right space that they're in right now. Father, if there, there are folks here who say they're Christians, but we're not living out our, our, our Christendom, I pray that we would 
in a new and profound way as we go down deeper and say, oh, you did it, you, did it. <laughs> you loved me through that. You loved me despite that. You didn't cancel, you didn't distance. You went further up and further in into our love and care of us. We pray that we realize that now and always. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.